Well, good morning, everyone. How's everyone this morning? Good? Doing great? It's good to be here today, amen? Wonderful songs this morning. Great job to the worship band. It's just been a, a great morning to be here, and it's always good to be here, but maybe something just a little extra special today is in the air. I don't know, but it's good to be here. I want to welcome everybody, and we're going to continue our sermon series on the book of James. And we've talked about how the book of James is a, a very small, a very practical book, but it's full of a lot of good stuff that helps us practically live out our Christian walk. It was written by the brother of Jesus, and this is said to be, believed, one of the earliest books of the New Testament. And he wrote to the earliest believers to impress on them one big, huge truth that we're going to talk about a lot today. And here's that truth. If Jesus has made a difference in your life, then your life should look different. He talks about a faith that works. You know, it's a faith that works and it's a faith that makes a difference when we face bad stuff, right? It's a faith that makes a difference when we're dealing with trials and temptations. It's a faith that makes a difference when it's put to the test. It's a faith that makes a difference in how we treat our neighbors and rich people, poor people, and all people. It's a faith that makes a difference in the way we talk. And we covered that last week when we talked about the dangers of the tongue. You remember that? If Jesus Christ has made a difference in your life this morning, I want you to say amen. 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 Praise God for that difference. James says if he's made a difference in your life, then your life is going to look different. So today we're going to move down through chapter 3 of James and into chapter 4. And you know, when James and the other writers of Scripture wrote their letters, they didn't uh, put books and, or they didn't put chapters and verses in what they wrote. That was done centuries later to help us study and, and reference what they said. So because of that, a lot of the times the ideas from one chapter bleed into another chapter. And that's what we're dealing with here in James. So we're going to cover uh, the rest of three and part of four. And you know, if you look back through the, the preaching schedule and, and the list of sermon titles, you'll see that today's sermon was originally called Faith That Works When You're Unselfish. But you know, being led by the Spirit in our study and preparation, plans change. And we realize that this isn't just about being selfish or not being selfish. This passage actually covers something much bigger than that. It has to do with choosing God's way of life, or the world's way of life. And if Jesus has made a difference in your life, then your life is going to look different. And it will look different in the ways we think and in the ways we choose to live our life. Do we live our lives God's way or the world's way? And that's a struggle we deal with almost daily, isn't it? It's a struggle we have. Let's read our passage together. James chapter 3, I'll start at verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done and the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. 
Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires, the battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? So when you look at what James writes here, it's easy to see that he's presenting two different ways to live. He's presenting two different ways of thinking. God's way or the world's way. We can live God's way or the world's way. Personal question for you guys this morning. Has anybody in here ever split their pants? There were more in first service. Maybe you guys just don't want to admit it. Okay, so long time ago, many years ago, I was getting ready to go to court over here in Putnam County in Winfield. And when I sat down in my car, I split my pants. They weren't necessarily tight. I don't know what the reason was. But, you know, thankfully I was still home so I could go put on another suit and go about my day. But no matter how you slice it, starting the day, splitting your pants is never a good way to start, is it? Amen. Amen. That's right. Well, I tell that because there's an old West African proverb which says this. The man who tries to walk two roads will split his pants. That's true, right? If you are committed long enough to walking two roads, you will split your pants. And this is the way it is for for us when we try to live for God, but we also try to live for the pleasures of the world at the same time. When we do this, we're trying to walk two roads, which in the end leads to disaster. And not only does it result in split pants, but it literally pulls us apart as well. So what's it going to be for us today? Because we can't have it both ways, although we try so hard sometimes, don't we, to justify this or that or look the other way on that issue or or this issue. But to help us understand just how different these ways of life are, we're going to present both lists that James writes about. First of all, we have the list of the world's way of life. This is what James says the world has to offer. Bitter envy, selfish ambition, boastful, denying the truth, earthly, unspiritual, demonic, disorder, every evil practice, fights and quarrels, desires that battle within, desire but can't have, kill and covet, quarrel and fight, don't have because you don't ask, wrong motives, self-pleasures, adulterous, enmity against God, friend of the world, an enemy of God. So you find these words and these phrases in what James wrote that we just read, and these describe the world's way of life. And we can all relate with this because we live in the world every day, right? And this is how the world operates every single day. So we compare that list to what James says about God's way of life. Here are the words he uses to describe God's way. Wise, understanding, good life, Deeds done in humility, wisdom, heavenly, pure, peace-loving, considerate, 
submissive, full of mercy, good fruit, impartial, sincere, peacemakers, sow in peace, and harvest of righteousness. So let me ask you this. Between these two lists that we just had up here this morning, which list would you look at and say, that's what I want for my life? God's way, amen? amen? We would look at God's way. That's what we want for our lives. That's what we want for the lives of our children and our grandchildren and our loved ones. Do you want life doing it the world's way or doing it God's way? And why does James draw such a distinction or a stark contrast between these two ways of life? Well, I'm pretty sure it's because he knew the audience he was writing to included some followers who claimed to follow Jesus, but their way of life didn't match up with what they claimed to believe. They're claiming Jesus has made a difference in their life, but their lives look no different than the world. They're saying they want to do life God's way, but their lives are showing that they're actually living life the world's way. But remember, James is saying, if Jesus has made a difference in your life, then your life is going to look what? Different. But for so many of you, James says, your life doesn't look much different than the world. In fact, sometimes it might look just like the world. And there's such a big difference between the two. James says the world's way is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. There's disorder and every evil practice. But God's way is pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, full of good fruit, impartial and sincere. Can you see how different these lists are? And it would be hard for us to make a mistake about which way we're living when we examine our own lives in comparison to these lists. Living a life with Jesus, practicing this faith that works that James writes about, when we do that, we're going to have peace. We're going to have mercy. We're going to bear good fruit. And people are going to see that in our lives. But when we're living the world's way, that's when we deal with disorder and every evil practice. And the world sees that too. James is showing us the fruit. And he's getting very practical as this book does. He's telling us about a disease. It's a disease that we all suffer from called worldliness. You know, some of us are in recovery some of us are in remission. Others might be struggling with this disease. And for others, maybe the disease seems like it's winning. What are its symptoms? What, is it, what does it look like? Well, do you have unresolved conflict right now in your life with somebody else? If so, that's evidence of the world's way of life in you. That we call relational disorder. Are you living with bitterness and resentment or jealousy or unforgiveness towards somebody? That's living the world's way, not God's way. And that might be an emotional disorder. Are you living with a huge financial debt because you're buying the things you want but don't need and you just keep using the credit card? That could be evidence of a financial disorder in your life. If you're struggling with the inner turmoil about acting on a same-sex attraction or whether you should change your gender from what God gave you, then you're experiencing an identity disorder. If you're engaged in sexual behavior beyond what God intended for marriage, then it's a sexual disorder. If you're battling an addiction right now that your brain won't let you quit, it might be a mental disorder. If it's a physical dependency, maybe it's a physical disorder. 
But when we start highlighting sins, we got to be very cautious, church, because every sin is the same. Amen? Amen? It all leads to death. And there are these disorders and many other disorders that we all suffer with. And our job as Christians is not to be the judge. Our job is to show love and to show Christ so people will change. Amen? Amen. They'll come to know him. And so we can't look at these lists and look at the ones we don't struggle with and say, how could they do that? Because guess what? I have my own disorders too. Amen? Amen. We got to look at this and realize we all suffer with spiritual disorder as humans in this life. Because you know what? No matter what we're addicted to or not addicted to, we all have one thing in common. We are addicted to sin because we're human beings. And the natural way of our humanity is toward disorder. James says God's way is toward order. But since we have a sin nature, our natural bent is toward disorder. When we consider these two lists again that we just went over a few minutes ago, God's way versus the world's way, which list do you think Adam and Eve lived with in the Garden of Eden at first? God's way. Could you imagine living in a world that could only offer God's way? In this Garden of Eden, they had purity. They had peace. They had good fruit. But what happened? Well, they had the freedom of choice. And they chose Satan's way, right? They chose the world's way. And they immediately, when they sinned, they had a spiritual disorder. And now you and I are, are, are born with a sin nature, and eventually, because the world is full of sin, we're going to sin, and we're going to struggle with that. And when it comes to sin, sometimes we willingly participate. Other times, maybe it's kicking and screaming, but the Apostle Paul has some very wise words for us as he describes this battle that's going on inside of us. Romans chapter 7, Paul says, We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. That's probably one of the most difficult passages to stand before somebody and read, right? But we made it. <laughs> A lot of tongue twisters there. But you can see how even this great apostle says, I struggle with this issue, the world's way or God's way. Do you guys have spiritual giants in your life, people that you look up to spiritually? Maybe it's a Sunday school teacher from when you were a kid. Maybe it's uh, the preacher when you were growing up. It might be a grandparent or parent, some family member that has influenced you spiritually. We sometimes call those folks spiritual giants in our lives. Guess what? Your spiritual giant also struggles with this issue, God's way or the world's way. We all deal with it. But listen to how Paul resolves this toward the end of that same passage. He continues. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. 
But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Church, who fixes our spiritual disorder? God, Jesus Christ, right? His blood. Jesus is the fix for these disorders. It doesn't mean we won't still struggle. It doesn't mean we won't mess up because we still sin. But it means Christ's blood is there to forgive us. And his spirit is dwelling in us as believers to help us be better tomorrow than we were today if we're walking in the light. Amen? Amen. He is the fix for our spiritual disorders. And that's what James has been saying all along. If Jesus makes a difference in your life, then your life is going to look different. So how does your life look different? For you note takers, first of all, number one, your desires will change. Desire is defined as a feeling of wanting to have something or wishing for something to happen. What desires do you have in your life? We have good desires and we have bad desires. God's way of life will change our desires. We want those godly desires. We want the desires to walk with Jesus, to make our faith stronger. We want the desire that God has for us to have healthy and happy relationships. We want the desire to spend time in God's word, to live life God's way. But what about those desires that are killing us? What about those desires that are causing turmoil, causing us to, to covet causing us to fight and have disorder in our lives. You see, those are the desires that will change when we're doing life God's way. The psalmist says in Psalm 34, 7, take delight in the Lord. He will give you the desires of your heart. Amen. Where do I take delight? Where do you take delight? Is it in the Lord or is it in the world? That's the decision we have to make. And when we draw closer to God through his son, through his word, led by his spirit, he will help us change our desires from what the world wants for us to what he wants for us. Amen. If Jesus has made a difference in your life, your life will look different. You guys will be reciting that phrase in your sleep tonight because I've said it about 15 times. But that's the gist of the message, right? Secondly, how will your life look different? Secondly, your motives will change. You know, motive is defined as a reason for doing something, especially one that is hidden and not obvious. So what are your motives in life? Why do you do what you do? You see, God's way will change our motives. James is saying here to, the, to his, his initial audience and to us that their motives are selfish. He says, when you ask, you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. They were, they were known to be praying to God just for things that pleased themselves, treating God kind of like the, the big Santa Claus in the sky just to grant wishes. That was what they were praying for. It's kind of like the little kid who prays, now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And if I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my toys will break so no other kids can use them. Amen. We're like that sometimes, whether we admit it or not. Like a selfish child, James is saying, you don't want God. 
You just want what God can give you, what God can do for you. Proverbs 16.2 says, All a person's ways seem pure to them, but motives are weighed by the Lord. So how do we check our motives? Well, we have to pray about it, don't we? We have to ask God to help us have pure motives, to point out to us and help us realize when maybe our motives aren't pure, because he knows the difference. And there are some specific questions we can ask ourselves as we evaluate our motives. But we only ask these questions of ourselves. It's not our place to ask this question for others, right? We can ask questions like, if no one knows the ways I'm serving, then would I still do it? If I can't have my post on Facebook about the service I'm doing, would I still do it? If there's no visible payoff for what I'm doing, would I continue? Would I joyfully take a lesser position if that's what God led me to do? Am I doing what I do for the praise of others or for the glory of God? Am I doing, uh, continuing, would I continue to suffer to serve God if suffering is all that's coming my way? If others misunderstand or criticize my actions, would I stop? If the people I'm serving never show gratitude, would I keep on serving them anyway? Do I judge my failure or success upon my faithfulness to what God has asked me to do or how it compares with other people? You see, we can look and ask questions of ourselves like that to, to test our motives. You know, personal enjoyment, like taking a vacation or buying a toy, there's nothing wrong with those things, thank God. I like vacations and toys. How about you guys, right? But you see, motives become an issue when we're not honest with ourselves about why we do the things we do. Amen. We give an outward appearance that we're, we're doing it to obey God, but maybe our hearts are hard and selfish, and we're doing it for our own self-interest. God knows. That's why the Apostle Paul says in Galatians 5, 16, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So, you know, if Jesus has made a difference in your life, your life will look different. That includes your desires. It includes your motives. And thirdly, your affections will change. Affection is defined as a gentle feeling of fondness or liking. Where do your affections lie this morning? God's way of life will change our affections. James says that anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. That's James 4.4. 4. You see, we can't be friends with both. We can't run with both crowds. You know, you tell your kids and grandkids, be careful what crowd you run with, right? Anybody ever said those words? Why do we say that? Because we want them to have the best opportunity to be around the best group of people they can for what's good for them. And that's what James is writing to us today. Be careful what crowd you choose. We can't run in both crowds because none of us want to walk around with split pants. Amen? Amen. None of us want to be literally pulled apart because we're trying to go down two different paths. What James is saying here to all of us, you claim to love God, but by your life, it looks like you're actually in love with the world. You say you have affection for God, but is that greater than your affection for the world? The Apostle John says in 1 John 2, 16, this was part of our focus verse this morning. He says, for everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, 
but from the world. Husbands, wives, can you imagine that that your spouse comes home one day and says, honey, I love you, and I don't want to leave you, but I also found somebody at the gym that I want to be with. How would that go over? Not too good, right? Not too good at all. Uh, You know, they say they love you. They say they don't want to leave you, but they also have someone else as well. That's the path to adultery. But James says that's what happens to our faith sometimes for a lot of Christians. We come to church, we tell God we love him, we sing, we worship, but then we go out and we resume our love with the world. And we show affection to the world. Friendship with the world, James says, is sin. In fact, the original text actually says it's the type of sin that breaks your lover's heart. So being friends with the world is actually being unfaithful to God. You know, when I mess up, and I do all the time, if Linda can amen that, I look back and I say things like, man, I really blew it. Gosh, I really messed up. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done that. I really blew it this time. Anybody else ever say that? couple times a month or year, maybe, maybe more often than that. Yeah, daily, me too. What if instead I changed the way I look at that? Instead of saying, man, I blew it. What if I said, I was literally unfaithful to God? You see, that's how serious sin is, isn't it? Sin is serious business. It's serious to God. And you know how we know it's serious to God? He allowed his only son who was perfect to be killed because of it. If I looked at sin as being unfaithful to God, would it change the way I live? Would it change the things I say, the ways that I act? Would it change the way I justify entertainment or the way I talk? You see, James is getting very practical here because this kind of behavior is not only sinful, but it's hurtful and damaging to relationships. You know, if you find that your affections are drifting toward the world, then what we got to do is we got to repent and ask for God's forgiveness and ask him to rekindle our love for him. And as believers with his spirit, ask his spirit to help us. You know, when you listen to a sermon about sin, it can get very negative very quickly. But I want to tell you the positive thing here. The positive thing here is that all this stuff we've been talking about this morning, never ever have we been asked to do it on our own. Can I get an amen on that? We are not alone, church. It's very desperate when we feel alone. We're not alone as Christians. We have God's spirit dwelling in us. That spirit is there to help us, to guide us, to help us change our desires, our motives, and our affections. We can't do it on our own, nor have we been asked to. So church, how's our prayer life? when it comes to which path we choose. That's where it has to start. Ask God to help you. Ask God to help his church live and walk the path he's designed for us. You see, from the beginning of days, we've known our God is a jealous God. Deuteronomy 4.24 says, For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. Not jealous in a bad way, but jealous in the sense that he loves us so much. He never wants to lose us. He never wants us to walk away. And he never wants us to put anything above him. So a question for you this morning. Do you feel like your life is missing something? Do you feel like there's a hole, that there's a void? If so, then here's the next question. 
Do you live a life the world's way or are you living life God's way? There's a story about a king once upon a time who was very wealthy and lived a very luxurious lifestyle, but he was very unhappy. He was not content. He was downright depressed. One day the king came upon a servant who was happily working and he was singing as he was working. And this perplexed the king. He thought, here I am, the ruler of this whole land. I've got everything I could ever want and I'm not very happy. And this servant who has nothing seems to be full of joy. So he goes up and he says, hey man, what's the deal? You're a servant. Why are you so happy? The servant says, your majesty, I am nothing but a servant. But my family and I don't really need all that much. We have a roof over our heads. We have plenty of food to eat. And because of that, I'm happy. Well, that answer didn't satisfy the king. So he called in his most trusted advisor. And he told his advisor about this encounter. And the advisor said, your majesty, I believe this servant is not a member of the 99 club. The king said, what's that? He said, well, that's a club where we take 99 gold coins and we put it in a bag and we leave it on somebody's doorstep. And the king thought, well, this doesn't really make much sense, but okay, go ahead, go do that. So the, the, the advisor did. And when the servant came home, he saw the bag and he took it in his house and he opened it up and he shouted out great joy because he'd never seen one gold coin, let alone a bunch of gold coins. He'd never seen this much money in his life. So he counted the coins multiple times. And after counting them multiple times, he was convinced that there were 99 gold coins there. And he wondered, what happened to the last gold coin? No one would ever leave 99 gold coins on somebody's doorstep. So he searched frantically for this last gold coin. And he wore himself out and he couldn't find it. So finally he decided he was going to have to work harder than ever so that he could earn that last final gold coin to complete his collection. From that day on, the servant's life changed. He was overworked. He was horribly grumpy. He was furious with his family because they weren't helping him work to earn this last gold coin. He stopped singing as he worked and instead had a growl on his face all day long. Well, the king saw this transformation. He said, hey, advisor, what's up? This guy's not happy anymore. The advisor said, because he's joined the 99 Club. That's the club where people who have enough to be happy are never content because they're always yearning and striving for that one extra thing, telling themselves, let me get that one extra thing and then I'll finally be happy. Church, that one final thing that will make us happy is not money. It's not gold coins. It's not real estate. It's not fancy cars. It's not a vacation. It's not a healthy bank account. It is living life God's way. Amen? Amen. Amen. Don't try to live both ways. That will not work. That splits pants. That pulls us apart. Don't look for your desires and your motives and your affections and the things this world has to offer because it's hollow, it's empty, and it won't work. Instead, look to God. Look to his way. Look to his spirit and look to his son, Jesus, who died on the cross for our sins. Amen. Has Jesus made a difference in your life? If so, James says, your life will look different. Your desires, motives, and affections will change. And most important of all, 
your eternal destination will change. And that is all that matters. Amen. 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 You know, your life will change for the better. You'll be blessed in ways you could never imagine. Life won't be perfect. We'll still mess up. We'll still have problems. But that's where we have this faith that works and a God with us that helps us every step of the way. So I always leave you with a challenge. What's our challenge this week? Our challenge is to live this faith that works by living life God's way. Ask for his help to guide you in the paths he wants you to go this week. Ask for his help to remind you of the good differences he's made. And be thankful for those differences. And use those differences to be an influence to people out there who don't know him. Amen. Sound good? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for this day. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the words of James that are so powerful, Lord. They're life-changing. And Father, I pray that you'll be with our hearts, be with our desires and our motives and our affections. Father, help them line up with what you want for us in this life. Lord, help us listen to your Holy Spirit when it guides us. Help us to follow it. Father, help us to lean on it. Help us, Lord, to to, to want to be doing your will in all things. Father, I pray a special prayer this morning for the O'Leary family in Nitro who lost their daughter this week. Father, I pray for Wendy and her boys and all the students and teachers at Nitro. Father, comfort them as they grieve. Father, be with all of us as we struggle with sin, as we struggle with which path to choose, Lord. We know the end result. But Father, getting there is sometimes difficult as we live in this world. Help us follow you. Help us encourage each other to stay on that path that leads to you. Thank you, Lord, for forgiveness. And thank you, Lord, for your son. It's in his name we pray. And amen. Thank you for being here this morning. If you're here and you have a need, if you're not a Christian and you'd like to talk about your next steps, I'll be down here at the front and be glad to talk with you about that. If you have any other needs, we're here to help meet needs. So we just ask you to respond now as we stand and sing our last song.